0: Man, an anthemic way to start this second hour. Wow. I feel like I have to stand up and salute almost as I start the second hour. Welcome back, everybody. This is At Your Service right here on X. My name is Dave Simons, certified financial planner by day and the occasional fill-in host by night. Thank you so much for tuning us in here on this Valentine's Day. So if I were to ask you this question, think about how you would answer it, but you can only give one answer. I know it will be difficult because when I ask this question to myself, I want to give like three or four answers, but you can only give one. What do you think is the most important problem facing this country today? Immigration, perhaps? The economy, a subset of that might be inflation. Is it crime and violence? Um. Is it the government, poor leadership, we're being let down, uh, unifying the country? how Some might answer, it's just this moral family decline in this country. That's my biggest concern. There's not a right or wrong answer. Everybody is going to have the answer that best suits where they are in life and what's most important to them. The reason I ask this is Gallup asks this question several times during the year. And I was fascinated by how it changed over just a few months here recently. And also the difference between Republicans and Democrats, no surprise there. I'll reveal some of that, but this is combined. This is all the Americans, the thousands of people who were asked in November of 2022 and how it changed just a couple of months later in January. Very interesting. So in the November poll, The number one answer, there were actually two that tied at 16% apiece. So you're not going to get something like 80% of Americans feel this is a concern because you can only pick one, so they will all add up to 100%. Coming in at 16%, two different ways, inflation, 16%, and interestingly, a broader topic related to that is just economy in general. I don't think that surprises anybody. That was number tied for number one. We go down, of course, to the third one at just 15%. So right there is government and poor leadership. And then there's a big drop-off. Down to 8%, coming in at number four, is immigration. And then I'll stop at number five. The fifth most important problem facing this country today, according to Gallup and the thousands of people that they interviewed, at just 6%, which is the fifth highest, is unifying the country. Interesting. So there's your top five. Go forward just a couple of months. By the end of January 23, so just a few weeks ago, it was no longer the economy or inflation. That was number one. Jumping up from previous number three at 15% to number one at 21% government and poor leadership. That's a pretty strong uh, increase from 15 to 21%. Number two in the most recent poll barely budged. Inflation, which of course had been 16%, is 15% now number two. Not a big change there. People are still concerned about inflation. Something else that jumped, though, up to the number three spot at 11%, it had been eight, immigration. Number four, big decline, the economy in general. So inflation drops just slightly, but overall economic conditions in a broader sense really dropped off in this latest poll interesting number five didn't budge Beautifying the country six percent at number five in november six percent at number five in january now republicans and democrats and this is where it gets good discuss amongst yourselves here interestingly those who say they are Republicans, or they lean right, they're independents, but they lean right. And then the other category, of course, Democrats, or independents who lean to the left. They both have the same number one government. Now for Republicans, it's a little more again, you can only give one answer. So it's not like you're going to have this one's at 58%. This one's at 42 38. No, it's it's just one answer. Government 24% 24% of those on the right said it's government so one out of every four said that's my number one issue but it's also the number one issue for democrats interestingly enough it's not as high as 24% it's at 18% one thing that you'll notice is democrats spread their issues and concerns out among more topics i find that fascinating republicans are much more top heavy with about the the, the top five or six or so coming in at number two it was also the same for both but just more for in, for republicans inflation 18% republicans 11% democrats but both finished number two respectively so there's where republicans and democrats hey we actually can agree government biggest concern for both parties inflation second biggest concern for both parties and then it splits widely after that and wildly no surprise who do you think feels much more strongly about immigration in this country it's actually tied for number two for republicans at 18 percent it's only five percent for democrats not even in the top five the economy in general pretty close 11 percent republicans nine percent democrats that's fourth highest for republicans third highest for Democrats. I think that's interesting. Tied for number three for Democrats, and here's another big issue. Wow, you could do an entire show, podcast, books have been written about this one. The tied for third for Democrats' biggest concern, 9% of Democrats say this would be my number one concern, and that is race relations in this country, 9%. Republicans doesn't hardly register. It's 2%, not even in the top 10. So, given the stats here, this latest Gallup poll. uh, Moral, ethical, and family decline. Republicans, 6%. Democrats, 2%. Uh, What was one more that I wanted to give? Uh, Unifying the country. So, that is the fifth highest concern for Democrats 8%, number five for Democrats, say unifying the country is my biggest concern. Republicans, yeah, 3%, whatever, we'll get through it. And then one more, this gets back to something that really jumped out off the page and surprised me to some degree, because it's exactly the same for both parties. And I wouldn't have guessed it because some people will hear what I've already discussed and say, well, there's that's typical Republicans not caring. Democrats care a lot more. But then how do you explain this one? Poverty, hunger, homelessness. They go together in this poll. Poverty, hunger, homelessness. Biggest concern, 4% for Democrats, 4% for Republicans. Kind of fascinating. The whole point of this, of course, is the political ramifications. As we're still, gosh, even well more than a year and a half away, but the campaigns are already starting. Of course, Nikki Haley announcing uh, not a secret at all. She had already been kind of hinting that this was going to happen. But you're you're going to start to hear more people uh, in the Republican Party start to announce that they'll run for president. And then the Democrats, uh, that's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? internal polling, and a lot of people won't go public with this, but they they do have a Joe Biden problem. And Republicans have a Donald Trump problem. So the two people who ran in the 2020 election, we now fast forward to 2023, a little bit more than a year and a half away from the next general election. And both parties... They, Some people are more than willing to be vocal in their own respective party, and there are Republicans who are vocal saying, "I maybe I like Donald Trump and he did some good things, but I don't want him running again. He's divisive for the party, and if he runs, that increases our chances of losing. I'm, I'm just kind of quoting some of the uh, general thesis among many people on the right. But on the left, a lot of folks have had no problem coming out publicly and saying, like Joe Biden and some of the things he's done to help the country, but I don't want him running again because clearly he's not at his best. You cannot shy away from that, and I'm talking about more of the mental acumen. Some days he's really good and seems there, and other days it's very hard for him to not stumble over some sentences. That's part of the aging process. We can't be surprised about it. So a lot of Democrats are thinking, man, if we have any chance of holding the White House, can we get somebody else in there and would joe biden even acquiesce to that this is going to be really interesting as a political junkie like me to see how this all plays out and it really ties into this gallup poll that we as americans depending on what line we are some of the things that we see the same like government that seems to be the number one concern for both parties Even inflation, but after that, it really starts to break along party lines. Speaking of inflation, there was a report today that came out, and many more so-called experts, economists, market professionals are feeling that inflation is not going to be a problem a few months from now, and that also means no recession. It was just a few months ago when it seemed like they all were talking about recession. So speaking of polling data and surveys, I'll get to that when we come back with more at your service here on X. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. It is 921 in St. Louis. Hello there. Dave Simon sitting in at your service tonight. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Well, earlier this morning, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, you've either already heard the news or if you haven't, you can do a little bit of your own digging, uh, of course, but just to uh uh, reiterate in general the cpi was released early this morning that's the consumer price index that's what the government uses that's the barometer generally for inflation now if i'm a teacher and i'm grading this report with a being wow, that report showed inflation is really dropping. It's continuing this trend and that's good. While the economy is still staying pretty strong and we're seeing prices across the board coming down, it's still high on a nominal basis, but overall the trend line is down. That would be an A. And F would be like inflation went up the other way and now it's back up eight or 9%. I would give this report today a C minus. So not that great. I would red mark the heck out of it and say, try again, do a better job. Because there are a lot of data points within this report. And every one of them pretty much either met expectations or were worse. In other words, inflation was higher in this particular component of the report. The, the, the biggest number, the one that gets the most attention, is just the general annual inflation number. In December, it was 6.5%. Back before that, in November, it was 7.2. At October, it was 7.8. Before that, it was above 8. It was the peak in in last June at 9. So you can see it had really been starting to come down, especially in the fall. Now, we get into January, and the consensus was it was going to drop, but, but the percentage wouldn't be as much mainly because of the warmer weather across the country in January. Yeah, there were some spots, obviously there always are in January, some northern spots will get hit harder than most. But in general, temperatures were warmer than normal. There was less snow and precipitation, and we saw that retail sales were a little bit more robust than normal. So the consensus was, well, maybe inflation won't drop as much. So that was for a call of 6.2%. Down from six point five, not much of a drop. Well, the number came in this morning at six point four. It it just dropped one tenth of a percent from December for the month of January, and no surprise, the market sold off immediately when that that came out. Um, at one point, the Dow was down more than four hundred points, but lo and behold, it really started to work its way back up. It the market, I give it credit; it worked hard it did yeah it was like it was carbo loading or something because the dow only finished down a little bit more than 100 points and the s p nas and the nasdaq did even better We we had some gains there i'm a little surprised by that in my opinion i think the market is being a little too complacent here i've said even before this report that i think investors are going to be somewhat disappointed even the fed will be that inflation i think is going to be a little bit more stubborn than we would like I still believe the trend is down and I don't think we're going to have an overall inflation problem like the the uh, late 70s and early 80s however this hope and that's what it is it's a hope that it's just going to keep dramatically coming down every month aggressively speaking and then the Fed won't have to raise rates ever again maybe one more time in March that's a consensus estimate quarter of one percent and then they'll be done and then maybe they'll actually get to start to cut rates again later this year. I, I'm i not in that camp. And I think inflation is going to be a little bit more problematic in its stubbornness of coming down as quickly as we would like. And this report plays right into that. Now, I may be in the minority on this, and I will certainly, I've had no problem ever changing my mind on anything if the data shows it. Uh, Too many people get cemented in their belief because they're afraid to say, oh, I don't want people to think I was wrong three months ago. No, if the data shows that things have turned, you better turn. Whether you're a professional or an individual investor, um, either way, you have to be flexible in times like this. But right now, fewer mutual fund managers are predicting a recession. I mean, this has really just fallen out of bed. This is amazing to me. Last November, In a survey of all these mutual fund managers, 77% of fund managers said a recession sometime in 2023 is likely. So three out of four, basically. You know what it is today? 24%, one out of four. That is a huge drop. What in the heck happened? There is a growing consensus that the Fed is gonna win on this and they're going to pull off the so-called soft landing. That's the Goldilocks economy where everything is just right, not too hot, not too cold. Inflation slowly comes back down to where the Fed would like it to be, around 2% without killing the economy, the so-called soft landing. More professionals now are starting to come around to that being a possibility when three to six months ago, nobody thought it was possible. I still think it will be a difficult task, but the percentage isn't zero. I certainly hope that they can pull it off and we'll wait for more data to come around. But this is what's happening right now. And I think that's why the market has been very resilient, because people believe that what we just had this morning was more of an anomaly related to a warmer than normal January. We shall see. But it's not just mutual fund managers, folks. It's corporate America. America. Companies in the Russell 3000 index. So you've got all of these publicly traded companies that make up the Russell index. 3000 companies are talking less about any potential recession. There was an analysis just done by Goldman Sachs in the latest quarterly earnings report. So they listen in on all of these conference calls and they found that just 12% of corporate earnings calls even mentioned the r word as a possibility recession it was more than double that just a few months ago so it's mutual fund managers it's the corporate execs themselves and not let's not leave out all of you as individual investors we're also seeing a much more sanguine outlook among you the general investing public Another survey shows that 35% of investors expect a weaker economy this year, weaker. They think the Fed raising rates will see this economy start to crack. Now, you may think that 35% um, is is a somewhat high number, and it is when it's compared to the professionals, like the mutual fund managers and the CFOs of companies. But that 35% is also down for more than 50% just a few weeks ago. So even you as individual investors are starting to think it's a possibility the Fed can pull this off. And the market, interestingly enough, is um, it's reflecting that. I find that all fascinating. Uh, again, I, I hope, hope is not a strategy, I know. But let me tell you on the negative side, not to scare anybody, if inflation does become more stubborn and the Fed actually has to increase rates more than one more time for a quarter of 1% in March, because the data comes out that inflation just is staying too high, and I don't know how many more times the Fed might have to raise rates in that scenario or how aggressive, and then they don't cut rates well into 24 and who knows when. The market won't like that, and a new bull market is not going to be born out of that. It just won't. I still expect that we're going to see an extremely volatile market, as we've seen all year with an upside bias, but still very, very volatile based on this data. And that includes tomorrow, my friends. Tomorrow, we get the January retail sales. That will also be very influential in determining the market's trend here in the near term. But as I always like to say, for those of us who think long-term, this is great for water cooler talk. This is great to just have discussions maybe with your spouse or significant other about what's happening in the economy. But as a general rule of thumb, These kinds of numbers should not cause you to make any dramatic changes to your portfolio, other than the fact that maybe if you're overly aggressive to one side because you're taking a lot of risky bets, thinking the economy is about to boom, I would tell you maybe to pull in the reins a little bit, although you have to do what you've got to do and what your own financial advisor, if you work with one, recommends. I'm just giving a general statement that I think an extreme risk on portfolio is perhaps a little too vulnerable until we have inflation more under control. We'll be right back. Welcome back, my friends. It's a show that never ends. Actually, that's not true. It does end. Coming up at 10 o'clock, I'll say goodbye. Don't know when I'll be back on again. No scheduled replacement for uh, At Your Service. I'm sure at some point in the next few weeks, I'll be back on. Um, more specifically for what I actually do for a living, the Dollars and Cents show, which I have hosted off and on since 1996. Uh, don't have any scheduled times to uh, host that show either, but I have a feeling it's probably coming up. Although once baseball season gets into uh, gear, you will not hear much from me since that's a Sunday afternoon show. And there's that team called the St. Louis Cardinals that typically takes up the airwaves on um, on X. If you would like to be informed when I am on the Dollars and Cents show, and you do like to also keep up to date with what yours truly sees uh, in the financial markets, in between the shows, and sometimes the in-between can be months, you can subscribe to the email commentary I've been writing since around 99 or 2000. I never can remember this precise date, but it was before the internet bubble actually burst. So I want to say probably late 99, I'm guessing. Anyway, um, you can just email me directly at david.simons at ubs.com. That's S-I-M-O-N-S. At you b as and boy s is and sam dot com, and by the way, nobody spams you. I nobody ever sends you another email trying to sell you something. I don't even know that you're on there. You are placed on a blind carbon copy. It goes through compliance when I write the commentary, and then it's sent out in that direction. So just some, some free information, no specific stock ideas or anything like that, but just general information that I'd like to think maybe you don't get in um, in other places. So the next one, as always, will come out Friday. Uh, one of the types of research that I love to look at comes from a research company called SentimentTrader.com. Uh, Sentiment Trader, they just do some absolutely brilliant work. And this one I came across, uh, was this yesterday or today? I don't recall, but definitely this week. We know that the market has gotten off to a pretty good start, but it's really been led by the stocks that got hit the hardest last year. So these high growth, technologically based companies that got absolutely trashed last year that make up a lot of part of the NASDAQ. They have been leading the surge in the first six weeks or so of the year. And the more traditional, staid, boring, plain vanilla, dividend-paying stocks that make up the Dow, they have really lagged this year after leading the way last year. So we've seen a reversal. This is interesting. The difference between the NASDAQ and the Dow through last Friday, So we're covering 26 trading days, not calendar days, trading days of the year. That's through last Friday. This is the second biggest difference between the NASDAQ and the Dow in the first 26 trading days, going all the way back to when the NASDAQ was first started in 1971. So we're talking more than a half century of data here. And this is the second largest difference between these two major benchmarks just six weeks into the year. 11.4% difference in performance between the NASDAQ and the Dow, pretty incredible. So what happened when um, this has happened in the past? Well, that's where sentiment trader comes in. They looked at the top 10 differences, the biggest differences between the NASDAQ and the Dow in the first basically six weeks of the year. And then they told us, This is what happened in the market the rest of the year. And this is the kind of data diving that I love. Nine of the previous 10, the market finished nicely higher. Only one time when the NASDAQ outperformed the Dow like this early on, did the broader market actually finish down for the full calendar year. And it wasn't down much. That was back in 2000. I had just mentioned that's about the time that I started the email commentary. So the NASDAQ, and and by the way, that's number one in terms of the biggest difference to start a year. Back then in 2000, through the first part of February, the NASDAQ outperformed the Dow by 13.5%. Like I said, we just had the number largest outperformance or biggest gap at 11.4 back then 13.5 percent by the end of the year 12 months well I'm sorry I said calendar year that's not true 12 months later so we're going into February of 01 12 months later the S&P 500 was down seven percent from mid-February of 2000 to mid-February of 01. Now, it was about to get much worse. So that's very misleading to say the S&P was only down 7% in that 12-month period because overall, during that three-year internet bubble-bursting bear market, the Dow fell more than 50%. So that was a doozy. But the other nine times, the top 10, of the biggest outperformance between the NASDAQ and the Dow. Interestingly enough, the broader market as measured by the S&P was nicely higher, double digits for the most part. The average gain for the following 12 months in the past, 15.6%, up 90% of the time. Now, let me give the disclaimer, of course, past performance doesn't mean a hill of beats or something like that. It doesn't guarantee anything. And we've got a lot of things that are still working, some for us, a lot against us. I just talked about inflation. We have no idea where this thing is going. Russia, Ukraine, the market really has has ignored that almost from day one, it honestly has. But if that really went off the rails and we're not even gonna talk about worst case scenarios, we know what they are. No reason to really get into that. Obviously, the market will react negatively if something really bad happens. So we still have some issues out there. I just like to focus more economically speaking. It wouldn't surprise me, though. As much as I'm kind of neutral on the market right now and think there there's probably some near-term downward bias here in the near term. I actually, if you made me guess, think the market's probably going to be higher um, in 2023 when it's all said and done. Just going to be really, really choppy. All right, so that's it for market-related discussion on tonight's show. We spent the first hour totally on kind of this Valentine's lovey-dovey stuff, although we we did get a little down and dirty when we had our guest on, Sonia Meyer, talking about her new book that's out um, about building boundaries and staying true to yourself and not uh, being buried by those who have a lot of issues in our lives. And we've, we've tried to help them even to the point where it's started enabling. And her book has just been a real breath of fresh air. So as a uh, reminder, once again, if you were driving around and, and kind of forgot, that book is, And Then You Went Missing. A Hope-Filled Guide for Anyone Lost in a Difficult Relationship. You can see that on Amazon. It's Sonia Meyer, M-E-Y-R-E-R. Just a great 30-minute discussion with her. Here so far, uh, here most of the second hour, we've been a little bit on an investment-related theme, of course. Now, I'm going to talk about something that I ju- It's hobby-related for me, but it, there's a purpose behind it. I. As many of you know, I am a physically fitness junky type of weirdo guy. That way, um, I admit it's too much, but I love it, and and that is um, running and biking and swimming and going to the gym. And I do I try I do take off one day a week, but today, for example, I ran a very easy five miles. Tomorrow I'll go on a twenty minute bike ride. Uh, uh, Thursday I'll run eight miles Friday I will go to the gym Saturday I'm going to run 13 miles Sunday's a swim day yeah and Monday's a day off I admit that that gets a little much but that's part of who I am that's the physical part of it is and I'm 60 years old and fortunately my knees are still I, I guess genetically I was made to do this I'm very blessed that way but to me the brain because we don't see it It's not right out in front of us. We don't look in the mirror and go, hey, our brain looks a little soggy. But to me, that's maybe the most important muscle, if you will, in your body. And we know all the research about trying to keep off uh, dementia, which does run in my family on one side of it. And I just, it's so important to me to also work the brain. So I do crossword puzzles. I do Soduco. So I always have a tough time pronouncing that. Um, but I love doing those things. I read voraciously, I go through books very, very quickly. I took up the guitar a few years ago, completely self-taught. Guess what? I just started in December. I'm two and a half months in, and I'm loving it. I've decided that I want to learn a foreign language. I've never learned a foreign language outside of the requisite Spanish classes that I took in high school and a couple in college. That was over 40 years ago. I've decided that I want to challenge myself and learn one of the most hardest, uh, most difficult languages in the world. So I'm now learning Chinese, Mandarin. And <laughs> Yes. And I'm having a great time. Again, self-taught. I've, I've bought a couple of online and, and app-related uh, programs and I'm really learning. And I've got a couple of Chinese friends and they're having a lot of fun with it too. The whole point to this is, besides the fact that, yes, I'm one of those people who just cannot sit still. I know it is an issue but it's to keep the brain active and alive. I want to be in my 90s. And if as long as somebody's not spoon feeding me and I don't know where I am, I would love to be 100 or more if I can still get around and still have a brain that works and a body that works. I tell you that because there is a a brain doctor who has, has got this report out the hard rules for keeping your memory sharp as a whip. A couple of these I want to talk about when we come back after this break, because I think they're really fun. And some of them I do, and I totally believe in it. You're listening to At Your Service. Dave Simons with you tonight. We'll be right back. <laughs> I love it. much <laughs> Uh, 9.49 in St. Louis as we close out tonight's edition, the Valentine's Day edition of At Your Service. Thanks, folks. I've really enjoyed it. I always do when I get asked to uh, fill in. Uh, I love it because, uh, yes, even though I will throw out the investment-related stuff since that's my expertise, but I just love talking about all kinds of other unrelated topics uh, because I'm just that kind of a worldly man. So, as I was mentioning before the break, there is a brain doctor who has come out with the seven hard rules for keeping your memory sharp as a whip. I'm not going to go through all seven. I've just picked out a, a few of them. But he lists number one, where I'm going to kind of push back on this a little bit. In a general sense, I agree. But listen to this. He says, read, but choose fiction when you can. What? What? He says, you can learn a lot from nonfiction works, but they are often organized in ways that allow you to skip around based on personal interest and previous familiarity with the subject. Fiction, on the other hand, requires you to exercise your memory as you proceed from beginning to end and retain a variety of details, characters, and plots. Okay, I don't know. That might be true for others. It's not for me i never skip around. I open up. A, I just finished a book on Lincoln. I'm now over to uh, Samuel Adams. You can tell I love American history. But as soon as I'm done with that, I'll then read a bio on Steven Tyler, let's say um, some rock thing or I'll read some uh, sports related book and then I'll go back to history and then I'll find like Sonia Myers book that I read in a couple of days. So I, I don't ever read fiction. Believe it or not, the last fiction book I read was 30 years ago. But I read some kind of book every day. And I would say, as long as you're not skipping around, I don't care if it's fiction or nonfiction. I'm no brain doctor, but I think reading itself is fine. Oh, I love this one Naps. Yes, love myself a good nap. As he writes, naps lasting anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half between 1 and 4 p.m. have been shown to increase later recall for information encoded prior to the nap. And by the way, that is true even before you go to sleep at night. Your best retention is done right before you fall asleep so a lot of i I talked about how i'm really into this chinese learning mandarin so a lot of times i will get a little piece of paper as i'm laying in bed at night and i will start to look at these words or phrases and then go to sleep really retention um is is real key there but i love naps i'm more of like the 45 minute to an hour guy yes because i still work i can't do it very often during the week But if I do work remotely from home, which I do from time to time, I will nap that day, 45 minutes to an hour. Love it. And I feel really refreshed. My wife cannot do it. If she lays down, it's got to be for like two hours and then she does not feel refreshed. She's like still groggy afterwards. I'm the complete opposite. So, yep, big nap guy. Eat brain foods. Once again, I'm reading these From a brain doctor, the hard rules for keeping your memory sharp as a whip. Eat brain foods. He lists a number of them. I'll just highlight a couple of them. Berries and beans. Rainbow colors of fruits and vegetables. That's true. No question. All all across for your health overall. Um, Nuts. Love me some good nuts. Omega rich foods. Just had salmon tonight. There's omega-rich food. This is interesting. Spices. I honestly don't ever really add spices. I know a lot of you foodies love to do that. I am not one. Um, But there you go. I was looking for pizza and ice cream. Do not see it. That really depresses me. And then lastly, uh, don't sit on the couch all day. All right? Did you hear that? That's the last one that he came up with. Don't sit on the couch all day. I think we already kind of knew that. And that's not just for our brain. That's for our body, especially as we get older. But there was a study, and man, this really covered a lot of people. One recent study of nearly 83,000 volunteers found that participants 80 years or older who engaged in moderate to high level of physical activity They didn't describe how that's defined, but moderate to high level of physical activity were at a lower risk for dementia compared with inactive adults age 50 to 69. Let me kind of repeat that. That's important to understand here. What he's saying is this this, uh, uh, study that covered a lot of people, 83,000 volunteers. People who were 80 were at a lower risk for dementia. Than people who are between 50 and 69, the difference between exercise. So if you're over 80 and you're still out, you know, you walk 30 minutes every other day, you're, you're active, you're better off than the inactive adult who, let's say, is around my age, around 60, who just sits around and does nothing all day. I, haven't we all seen that in our own lives as we as we see people get older, and the more inactive somebody is, they they do deteriorate a little faster. They really do. And he goes on to say, even just a shift from sedentary, to non-act- sedentary non-activity sedentary to active movement, like just stand, climb stairs, walking up to a mile a day, that's his words, make a difference. And then lastly, I'm sorry, guys. I know if your wife's listening, she's going to nudge and say, see, I, but I have to say it, housework has also been linked to higher attention and memory scores and better sensory and motor function in older adults. My wife had been listening to this show because of the interview I had in the first hour. I'm so hoping she turned off the radio and did not hear me say, housework is actually good for our brains. I'll find out, I guess, a little bit later. Folks, thanks again. Have a great rest of your week. And mid-February, we'll talk to you again, hopefully, within the next couple of weeks. Take care. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.